Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage. I'm Greg Gregory, your host, where we focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. Season two, our second episode here, we're excited to have with us today a gentleman who has got a wide, varied background and comes to us to talk about a lot of things today that fall in each of our three categories, whether it's culture, whether it's leadership, or whether it's teamwork, or as I call it, the TLC of business. So everybody, welcome back. Let's get right into it today. Bo Brabro is joining us today. And throughout his career, which started uh, literally in human resources at the age of 17 years old, we'll find out about that, has always focused on human resources in his entire life. He started out, as I said, about 17 years old, and he's always worked up to uh, executive levels and human resources as a senior vice president. He's also been presidential communications uh, office in the presidents under Bush and Obama. He's also published author and speaker. He's founded Hale Media Group, as well as the Bravo Center of Excellence. Robert Bo Bravo, welcome yes. to the Teamwork Advantage. Hey, Greg, it is awesome to be here. I love it. Yeah, we're excited. I love to have a little bit of fun through here. And mm -hmm. again, we, we teased in just the opening there about you. Um, 17 years old, human resources. Yeah. That's not what somebody would think about. So tell us a little bit no. about that. You know, it surely isn't. Um, so back in the back in the mid 80s, we used to have, uh, I don't even know if they exist today, career day every every year in the high school. Yep. And, uh, and on this particular career day, when I was in the 11th grade, uh, the big the big show, uh, that everybody went to in the library had the most attendance was the local uh, army national guard recruiter. Uh, so I guess he, he put on a, or their team put on this great big kind of uh, exciting event, got you all pumped up. Of course, I was in the room uh, telling you about all these wonderful, amazing things you can do if you join the army national guard. Uh, so I was fascinating that the army national guard yeah. had the largest draw of people for a career. Day. It was, it was incredible. Uh, the, it was packed. There's what were they giving away. No, I think we walked out with a little gift bag of t-shirt and some things, but, uh, <laughs> they were just, I don't know. They were just really interesting. They were good at their jobs. They knew how to talk and speak and be inspiring and motivating uh, a couple hundred kids in that, in that room. And it wasn't shortly thereafter, probably within a week or two where I was sitting in that recruiter's office in a one-on-one -on -one type of conversation and, and the office was decked out and tanks and parachutist posters on the walls. And uh, the recruiter, I remember specifically, asked me what I wanted to do. And I came up with this answer that I wanted to be in. I wanted to do something around business. And I was like, you have anything around like business, business administration? And uh, yeah, that's like, not well, what most people go to the army for. No, it was, it, and who know, who knows where that came from. Um, but that's what I said. And he opened up back then, of course, there's no internet to look up stuff. So he opened up his big regulation, big, like a big textbook of all these different job jobs that you could have inside of the army. And he just started looking for administration and he come across personnel administration. And he's like, well, I don't have business administration, but I have personnel administration. 
I was like, well, that sounds close enough to me. And here I was 17. I didn't know any different. Uh, so when I, I was excited to join and I chose personnel administration, I had the test scores for it. So that was the skill set that I was assigned. And off to boot camp, I went after my junior year of high school. Uh, and then I participated in my uh, one weekend a month uh, drills. Uh, during my senior year of high school. And then I went off to my advanced training to learn how to be uh, a personnel administration specialist uh, in the United States Army National Guard at the age of 18. And that was my job. That was the, that's what I did. I did that for six years going through uh, while I was going through college. And, and then when, uh, once I finished that six years, I was only out for, for about nine months. And, um, I had missed the uniform. I really wanted to, to wear it full time and not just on the weekends. Okay. So I went, I went back on active duty. And of course I was already trained, so I didn't have to do any more training. You didn't have to go through basic training. No basic training. I did that. I had already had that finished, uh, completed that after my junior year of high school. So I was fully trained and ready. So they just put me on my first assignment out to Fort Carson, Colorado, uh, in the early nineties. And, and that was all she wrote for me. And then 20 years later, uh, I retired 2013. Wow. That's surprising. So, let me ask you a question here. Yeah. You can kind of remember back to your basic training days. Again, you were in junior in high school, so I don't know yeah. how tough it could have been on you back then. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was brutal. Um, that, that, but I, I, you know, I write about this in my book that give that, that time frame, uh, having done that at 17 years of age, that I learned so much in those nine weeks and in that summer mm-hmm. um, I, I, about many things, about values, about um, discipline and commitment and diversity and inclusion. And, you know, this was my first experience to this hodgepodge of what we call uh, the melting pot of the United States, uh, you know, with 300 uh, about 300 uh, men from, I mean, all backgrounds. Yeah. Um, you name it all coming together and all getting treated like crap, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time, didn't matter who you were. Yeah. That, that's where I learned how to become um, green. Like the, the, you, you all come in, you're your own race, but at the end, when you graduate, everybody's army green yeah. and it's exactly. a brother. Right. Yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. And to have that at 17, when I look back on that, uh, it was, it was a real blessing. So let me ask you this about, do you remember your primary drill instructor? I remember all three of them. Okay. What did you think of your primary instructor about the third day of your basic training? Yeah. I hated him. I hated him for sure. Now let's, let's jump forward nine weeks. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of that same person? Oh, then you're giving them a high five because they're so proud of you. They're like the, um, the father figure, uh, that, that takes control of you. And they, they, at the end of nine weeks, I mean, they, they built you into something. They tore yeah. you down, but they tore you down for a reason because they needed to get everybody on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. And then they built you, they built everybody back up. And then after nine weeks, you were a soldier and that's how they treated you. Yeah. Yeah. And I have asked that question on this program several times with our, a lot of our guests. And by the way, I do want to say thank you for your service, all 20 years of active duty, plus your uh, national guard duty. So I want to thank you for that. Thanks. And I've asked that question about a lot of folks over the years. Um, I've had uh, people that have several that have graduated from different academies, whether it's the Air Force Academy, the Naval Academy, um, whether they've been in the Marine Corps or the United States Army, doesn't matter. Um, And they've all said basically the exact same thing. 
They yeah. really couldn't stand their instructors at the beginning. And I always choose the third day mm-hmm. because in uh, the Marine Corps, that's the first day they're allowed to sleep. Uh, oh, wow. They're given sleep deprivation the first three days. <laughs> I, yeah, it's crazy. And so it's, it's very powerful to understand that because it is the quintessential of a building of a great team. It, it takes you down to that foundational level. I agree completely. So, so you were in the, in the military, you were personnel management, you decided to get out, you retired in 2013. What yeah. did you do then? Uh, I went, you know, I, I followed the HR, uh, HR career path, if you will. And I started actually probably about two years before I retired. I, I, I knew that um, I had planned on retiring when I did, uh, but I needed to prepare myself for the corporate world. So I started, um, started the continuing education type of thing outside of academia uh, to, to make sure that I could transition all of my military human resources skills and knowledge into the civilian world. So it I is got, similar, yeah, but it is different. It's similar, but different. That's a great way to put it. So I knew that I had, I took a lot of time to do that countless hours, um, studying, uh, going after the, uh, the professional certifications and I'd landed with, uh, um, which was fitting, uh, went right into a government contractor uh, in the Washington DC area as their VP of HR. Um, so at least I, at that point, I, number one, I, I understood human resources well, leadership, hands down, how to build culture, how to build teams. Um, but I also understood the line of work that they were in, having mm-hmm. worked with numerous uh, contractors throughout the years. Right. Um, so from a business, from having the business acumen side of things and understanding what the business was there for, uh, it was really the right kind of position to transition into coming mm-hmm. out of the out of the military. So while in the military, you were fortunate enough, you were stationed, I believe you were saying uh, at the Navy, at the Navy Yard in D.C. Yeah, Anacostia Navy Annex. Anacostia yep. Navy Annex. Uh, and while stationed there, you got a job working in the White House is doing what? And again, yeah. it was under two different presidents, two different re- uh, regimes, two different parties. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was free. Um, I was recruited and I interviewed for uh, the White House Communications Agency with, and their headquarters is at uh, today. It's called Joint Base Bowling Anacostia. Joint um, Base Bowling, exactly. Joint Base Bowling. Right. That's where the headquarters is at. And then um, I did that uh, before going to uh, my tour to Germany, which which led me to Iraq as well. Uh, but I was recruited. Uh, I happened to have previously worked for the uh, chief of HR uh, in a different assignment. And when he got to the White House Communications Agency, he called me one day and he said, Bo, I have an opportunity of a lifetime for you. I want you to come work with me uh, at the White House. So it was, it was the inside military network um, put to work uh, and, it, and it does work. Uh, so I interviewed for the job that got me in there the first time I was there for a few years, uh, went and I was just doing, uh, I was doing a lot of recruiting because we recruited all of our own people. And then I went to Germany, went to Warren officer school, I went to Germany, and then I actually interviewed for the job to go back and replace him. So the gentleman that recruited me to get there in the first place, uh, he was retiring and I interviewed with the command, uh, to go back and actually take over his role, uh, which I did. That was in 2006. And um, then I was the chief of HR operations, uh, running the HR team. And the, the most glorious part of it was they took all officers and put us through a training academy to, to be trained and qualified as presidential communications officers. Because 
every president seems to travel more than the previous president, regardless of the administration. They all travel a little bit more. Yeah. And um, there's it's only becoming easier and easier. Yeah. And there's only so many people to support those efforts. So it really took it was really a, an organizational team effort uh, where we had full time communications officers and that's all they did. And then I would say people like myself for we were called additional duty, but it's like having a part time job on top of your full time job. Um, mm -hmm. And then you get in the rotation and you start leading the teams like I did uh, in and around Washington, D.C., the U.S., overseas and so forth. Um, and I did that for the last seven and a half years of my career before I retired. So obviously, I mean, there's a whole lot of talk all the time about the White House and the press corps and the communications officers and everything that has to do the White House press secretaries. All of those people kind of come through that same realm at some point or another, I assume. So let's, let's suffice it to say, I'm assuming that your day could start off normal at seven in the morning and by 710, it's all a kaflui. Is that about right? Yeah, that, that is possible. Absolutely possible. But you would, I think that's what a lot of people would imagine. And it was possible. Didn't happen very often. The schedule was very um, tight. tight and, and it, and it pretty much went off without a hitch, unless something is happening in the world that would deflect it. Uh, right. It pretty much went off the way that it was supposed to supposed to happen. Um, but in doing so, I mean, we had so many, uh, so many living and breathing standard operating procedures and checklists and, you know, uh, you name it to make sure that things did go as smoothly as they possibly could go. We called it um, operating within a zero defect environment. Uh, zero defect environment. I like that yeah. phrase. Yeah, it's a good one. And it is true. So when you're trying to operate inside of that, and then you're going to private sector, mm -hmm. I, I get the feeling that a lot of times communications is very lackadaisical at times like that. Yeah. So let's talk about what's it like trying to direct a communications team inside of something as powerful as the White House? Yeah. So the benefit is you, you truly have um, some of the, the best and the brightest that the military has to offer that's, that's made up, that makes up these teams. Um, and then everybody gets, uh, everybody gets trained and developed in, in a process. So, you know, the example would be, um, even if it's for me on the presidential communications officer leading the team, they don't, after I train, they don't just take me and say, okay, you're going to go lead this trip to Germany. You know, there was a nat, there was a progression uh, on the types of events, types of trips that you would lead and the teams, same with the teams and all the disciplines within the teams, whether they're doing audio, visual, radio communications, satellite communications, um, didn't matter. There was a natural, there was a progression within those uh, career fields, mm -hmm. uh, well-defined how you, how you would move from one level to the next uh, and so forth. And it was adhered to without question. So it wasn't the fact that, oh, you've been here long enough. You're going to get the next promotion. That was not right. part of it. That was not part of it. Exactly. No, it, it it's had not like the major leagues uh, in baseball. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got three levels of minor leagues before that. You yes. Know, That's and it's performance based. Yes. So, yeah. So, you you know, if you're in the minor leagues for five years, fine, you're making money, but you could have a, a rookie come up and just be an ultimate performer. The next thing you know, they're making the leap 
into yeah. the majors, right? Yeah, so they not time-based. Yeah, so a lot. this was one of those interesting things. Of course, we respected rank. Uh, it's the military and so forth. But I had plenty of, once you got to a certain level, um, I did plenty of what we called qualification check rides, where I would have colonels uh, that definitely outranked me. But on this particular event, I'd be, I would be the, uh, what we called the check ride officer, making sure they were doing what they needed to be doing. And if anything was going a little haywire, it was up to me to basically take over, um, and have the ability to do that. And, and that's the authority that I had because I, I was further along in the qualification and in the experience than that person. So rank was kind of, it was respected, but it's put to the side. If that makes so, sense. While it's respected and that makes sense, if you ever had to do something like that with a superior ranking officer, um, they also respected the fact that you had the other side of that, that you had more experience in that, and they, they yes. would give way. Yes. Yeah. I never experienced anything other than that. Um, yeah. And then that's, there's a. That's the powerful part that people fail to recognize mm -hmm. is leadership is not about the position, it's about what you're able to do. I agree. And if there's respect up and down, um, there was the, um, in the United States air force, uh, January 31st, 2006, I believe is the exact date hmm. was the first all female flight crew to fly a refueling mission into Afghanistan. Wow. And the boom operator is enlisted and you've got a major flying the plane. Uh -huh. And yet when they're doing the fueling, the communication goes from the enlisted person. Yeah. And it's so powerful to understand how that level of respect worked in that cockpit. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think that is a result. If, if you think about the, that crew and the, the seriousness of that type of operation where you're actually refueling in air, I'm mm -hmm. sure there's lots that could go wrong. Um, you know, building a high performing team. And these are, are great conversations. We talk about how does that team actually uh, function? Um you have to have that. It's the up and down respect and trust and confidence in mm -hmm. each of the team members' abilities and what they're responsible to do and when they're going to do it. I think it's the it's the same as when you have Navy SEAL teams and Special Forces teams. Yes, and everybody has their role. And and at and in reality, probably anybody on that team could lead the mission because they're they're that good. But they also understand each person's the expectations of each person on the team and they're going to have confidence that they're going to actually perform to the best of their ability sure. on every single mission and at the core underlying level is a level of trust trust no 100%, doubt percent no so doubt that, that kind of brings me to the point we're talking trust we're talking about getting the respect in there mm -hmm. um i'm also assuming that kind of comes under values a little bit sure and you're somebody who focuses on values-based leadership i do and so that's the values-based leadership is something that's been tossed around for years. So why don't you kind of just give us a 30 second uh, explanation of what you view values-based leadership and how it works. Yeah. So if we start at the top values-based leadership and you, whether you're the CEO of the company, you're the general of the, of the military unit, it doesn't matter if you're the president, you're the top of the company, um, your values will dictate how you behave. And I even put that in a formula that if you don't really know what your values are, well, let's just watch your behaviors for a week and we'll figure them out. Um, and, and how you actually show up to work in the actions that, that you demonstrate. So if you have set values um, and you're behaving accordingly, those are the types of behaviors you should, you should want to emulate or see emulated throughout your organization. So that's mm -hmm. what should be communicated. Um, that's what should be written in job descriptions. That's what should be hired for. 
um, and how people how people communicate in their uh, interviews when they're interviewing people because it's those it's those values that are going to help build and find the type of talent that is a good fit for your organization. Does that make sense? That's, so absolutely makes sense. And then yeah, the values come into play. And then so how does that how do values tie to culture? Yeah, so I I spent a lot of time on this and I put this formula in the ch first chapter of my book. Um, when you, because we're behavioral based, I mean, we're individuals, we're humans, we, mm -hmm. we all behave in a certain way and then we go to work and behave uh, over a set over time. And when you, when you sum up everybody's behaviors in your organization, right, you're gonna, the right side of the equation is the culture. And it, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, when you put everybody in a room, so to speak, and everybody's working and behaving, well, that's going to determine what the environment is like in your organization. So I've always viewed culture as an outcome or a result of, okay. um, and it goes back to behavior and how people are behaving. So if you want to impact, uh, if you don't have a good culture and you want to, you want to change your culture, uh, you're going to, at some point, you're going to have to look at how people are actually behaving and how they're performing. What are they okay. doing? Um, so yeah, from then, top to bottom. Yeah, from top to bottom. So if you've got a team and you've got your values based concepts and your core values, if you will, mm -hmm. and people are behaving outside of those values, suffice it to say, they're not a good fit on that team. Is that right? Yeah, that that could be where, yeah, that that could actually actually be the case. They may mm -hmm. not, they just may not be a good fit because their personal values are just never going to align with right. those of your company or your team. And it's um, okay because it doesn't mean that they're bad values. It doesn't mean that they're bad people either. Right. That's it right. It just isn't a fit for that team. It's not a fit for that team. That's right. right. It's like Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, years ago wrote, mm -hmm. you know, get the great people on the bus, get them in the right seats. But then the, the key thing most people miss is get the wrong people off the bus. True. That's right. That's why you can't take a specific set of values and, and necessarily they don't, apply there's, there's them. There's no carte to, blanche. Right. It has. And, and when we start at the top, if you're the you might be the founder of the company or you're the CEO, whatever the case might be, it really starts there because 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 that's where the buck stops. So if I'm if I'm the CEO of the company and I'm all for. um, um integrity uh, or loyalty or duty. Uh, and I don't, and I don't communicate that to the company and to everybody that we're bringing in the company. Um, you might not find the people that think the same as you and not that they have to think the same as you, but have the same similar set of values, similar set of values. Exactly. Right. Cause we don't want people to think exactly the same because then we get into a robotic society. Right. So thinking is one thing, but how people actually behave um, how they treat each other, mm -hmm. how they treat the company, how they present themselves outside of the company uh, in their behaviors. Uh, I, if they don't align, that's when you're going to have, you're going to have problems. You're going to have, mm -hmm. you know, high turnover and teams right. that don't function in a high performance type of. Or as uh, I like to call them dysfunctional teams too. Dysfunctional teams. That's yeah. right. As opposed to being cohesive. Mm -hmm. So, when we're trying to get those together and build high performing teams, what are some of the things that um, from your book and from your experience, both in the military and in private sector, what are some of the strengths that you're looking at there? What do you look for to build a high performing team? Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at, um, 
in, in basic set, I'm looking for competency in their skills, their technical skills. I'm looking for alignment in their values, a high level of trust and confidence that you can place in that individual to, to show up and do the best that they can uh, in the job that they're hired to do. Um, I'm looking for leadership that, that cares about the team 100% and not just, just the team, but understands who their families are, um, what's going on on the home front. Let's, let's uh, take a time out on that one yeah, for a second, because sure. that is so powerful. So I want you to back up and hit that one a little bit more. Sure. People think that I go to work, I work. It's none of your damn business what my personal life is. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit? Yeah, I, I think. And if that's the case, then I, I don't think you're going to be part of you're ever going to be part of a high performing team, because um, when you talk values based leadership and if you're on my team and I'm in, and I'm the I'm the leader of that team. I need, to, I need to know or I have a desire to know all about you because I want to know what impacts you um, day to day. So if I don't, you know, if I'm not aware, if I don't have awareness that you're having trouble at home or your children are uh, being homeschooled all the time and you don't have that, uh, you need breaks in order to help them with their homework or get them set up in their Zoom room, which is common for today. Um, if I don't know those personal things about you, uh, not that I'm placing, I have no desire to place judgment. I just want to be able to help and fit in and make sure that as the leader, I'm creating an environment for you to excel. And exactly. And that's, and, that's where a lot of people miss. And there's some people and I've worked with a lot of different military groups over the years. Mm -hmm. And there's some people who think that's leading by the, with the carrot versus leading from the stick. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, some people are struggling grasping it because 40, 50 years ago, it was strictly lead by a stick, no carrot. The carrot's important, but we, if you take the carrot too far, there's, you got to find that balance. Mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's... Yeah. You, you got to find the balance and you have to make sure that you, um, cause I've seen this happen. Uh, if you get too close to any particular person on the team, you know, human nature is it might appear that you get favoritism to one person over the other. Uh, and those types of things. Yep. So it really takes um, real, genuine, authentic effort from the leader. There's the two uh, key words, genuine yeah. and authentic. Right. Across the board. Mm -hmm. And I think when you've achieved that or when you're that person and that's how you approach leadership, your team knows that. Mm -hmm. And they, they know 100% that you're not favoring anyone over the other. Yeah. All right. So you had a couple other points on your um, high performing teams. I interrupted you there. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, well, I, I was talking about what well, you said it earlier, uh, the trust and the confidence we talked, you got to understand who the person is personally, family, their background. Mm -hmm. Um, because when you, when you, I think the key is when you know, when you know about a person and when you have, um, the whole person concept in mind, uh, you'll understand and you'll witness when they're not at the top of their game, any particular day. Right. And you will take, you'll take action on that. Meaning you might just have to pull them aside, have a, find out what's going on, what's happening. And it's not a week or a month or a quarter gone by. And then you're not hitting your, maybe you're not hitting your numbers or you didn't meet your project goals. Um, you're addressing these things head on when they happen or when they're, ha when they're happening uh, so that you can make adjustments as necessary. And I think, yeah, yeah go ahead. Those in-flight corrections are so critical. Yeah, right. They really are. Exactly. So if we look at some of that as that kind of to pull together, let's kind of tie this together now if we can. Okay. Between knowing what we've got to do for high-performing teams, 
And one of the things that from other people that I've spoken with, and by the way, just in all fairness here, I've never served in the United States military. It's the one regret that I personally had in my life. I've got a great deal of respect for our military. Um, but one of the things the military, I do believe, teaches is a process or systems. Sure. So now we take systems that you get and you have to blend that with building a high-performing team. How do you do that? Yeah, so I love the topic because process and systems, um, we even talk about those a lot on, on our podcast. And um, to make it as simple as possible, when you think process, I, I try to just use the analogy of, you know, you, you sit down and it, it's, it's calendar today, we might call it calendar blocking um, or making sure that your team has a checklist as detailed as possible, that it's a living checklist. So if you need to change something and update it, you do that. Um, they need to have some place to go to see this is how we, this is how we go from point A to point Z. Um, building, building systems and, and processes is a way to, it's a way to meet expectations, to meet your goals. And when you build a system, it helps you lead within that system. So go ahead. What do you say to people who say, when you have a system that tight, you're restricting me and I can't be free. I can't be creative. Yeah. So then I say, well, then work on your communication because you're not, you're, that's not the point of the system. You want creativity. You want innovation. Mm -hmm. Set time aside for innovation sessions and then run an innovation session that maybe looks at the system and is the system working the way it should be worked or does it need tweaks? Um, yeah, the system isn't, um, isn't a, a set it and forget it type of, uh, type of thing. Uh, it's gotta, it's gotta work and it's gotta produce and it's gotta get you, uh, to meet your expectations or exceed your expectations and the communication aspect of it with your team. When, when you have a high performing team, everybody has a voice, everybody's empowered to speak up and talk, uh, because if they don't, well, then you're going to be, um, yeah, you might be in a, in a world of hurt, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. yeah. So we're in a crazy time. There's yeah. no doubt about it. I mean, the pandemic is still in place. Um, we've got people still, a lot of folks working from home. We've got a lot of people who cannot physically get to work still. Mm -hmm. uh, businesses are shutting down. What are you seeing in those places where people are working? A number of my clients are all working You know, 90% remote. Uh, there's going to be some changes coming down the line the next three to five years with all that. What are you seeing as far as challenges that organizations are facing from the human resource aspect? And what are some companies, your clients doing to overcome them and thrive? Yeah. So I, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that hit HR over the past 10 months uh, when the pandemic hit is that everybody was looking in, and in my networks, everybody's looking to them to have the answers on what to do next on demand, on demand type of, of answers and not really understanding that whether it's a pandemic or, you know, it's an airline that, uh, you know, had a plane uh, mishap or something that it's crisis. And now you're in crisis leadership. And there's a lot of, a lot of people that have never, ever had that type of experience. Um, so I think HR got put in this uh, in this stronghold of looking for all the answers around people, and while they're trying to figure it all out for themselves mm -hmm. as well, lots of yeah. stress, lots you know, higher stress times. Uh, and crisis management is a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing, yeah. right? And and you really never know um, when you're 
during crisis, a lot of people are looking for someone to emerge as the leader mm -hmm. uh, to take them through, uh, get them through the crisis. And that doesn't necessarily, that could be anybody. Doesn't have to be the CEO, doesn't have to be the head of HR. Mm -hmm. It could be somebody who has that type of uh, acumen and experience uh, to step up right. and keep things in check. It's interesting you brought up, you know, you got into the crisis management aspect. We had a guest uh, on last season's podcast, Dr. Mary Kelly, uh, graduate of the United States Naval Academy and the first female commander of a naval ship, um, also hitting heavily in the crisis management aspect of this. Yeah. So it's interesting, two strong military backgrounds come at it, and you're coming at a lot from the same direction that she was. Yeah. Talking about that, and that's so powerful. It is powerful. And, you know, last, our first season of our podcast, the gentleman who wrote the forward to my book, Mike Barger, he's a, was a co-founder of JetBlue Airways, mm -hmm. um, but he was a former Navy Top Gun uh, fighter pilot and chief instructor uh, before he got out of the Navy and, and started JetBlue with his brother. But we had the same similar conversation. And I think one of the most powerful things he said when we're talking about crisis, people are looking for information. And there's a ton of information, whether you're turning on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, you can get different information about the same Or any topic. one of the social media sites. Or any social media site, right? Or social media warriors out there. Um, so inside of your company, uh, it's very important to have a source of information for all of your employees, even if... Even if today you have no new information, that's still information to put out, right? So that your employees know that you're still on it. You're, you're keeping track of things the best that you can. And you're conveying the message to, the, to your employees mm -hmm. uh, on a daily basis, um, even if nothing has changed. And that's key. Even if nothing has changed, we need to say, guys, I just want to give you an update here. Nothing new has changed in where we are today. Boom, 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 boom. Because if right. you don't, they're going to think you're hiding something. That's right. So that, be transparent, be the be a source of information, even if there's no information. And that's important in organizations when they're going through change, whether or not they're in a crisis management or not. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, communication is, the, is, it's the centerpiece of all of yeah. it. And it's interesting because um, I had another guest, uh, Captain Charlie Plum, mm. who was a Vietnam vet. And uh, he was a prisoner of war for over 2000 days. Wow. And how he communicated with other prisoners is a fascinating story because yeah. it's about communication. It's about how we get our information. It's about what we learn and being able to dissect it. Yep. You know, I don't care what we okay. do at what level, whether we're talking in the White House, uh, doing things for the president of the United States, or we're in a manufacturing plant, there are similarities that go there. Am I right? You are right. So absolutely. What are some of those things that you would recommend? What are give us two or three things from a communications point that are critical for anybody to take into in a leadership or a team lead type of a position? Yeah, one of the things that I loved um, that I tried that I have taken with me everywhere I've gone since leaving um, is 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 truly, and it takes time and it takes effort. But man, does it does it really help your teams? And that's that's having a daily uh, in the military we call them a daily stand up or uh, a, a daily daily meeting. And a I'm talking meeting. a huddle meeting, a huddle. Yeah, and it we're not talking hours, right? We're talking ten you know, minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Get everybody together. This is you know quick update on what's happening. Um, go over anything that uh, you may be having a problem with or where you're stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, those were things uh, when we were leading uh, leading 
leading events for the president that we did every single day um, officially. And then you have different checkpoints during the day where you're checking in with your team to make sure that they're, they're, mm-hmm. they have what they need to get their job done. You know, everything's going okay or, or whatever the case might be. So you can address situations or problems as they occur and not down the road. Right. Um, I think the quicker we can make those changes, the ability to pivot, the better strength anybody in the organization is going to have. Right. And I think that comes along with fostering an environment where people can speak regardless of their position. They need to be mm-hmm. able to spring and elevate these speak and elevate these issues um, or even areas where they need help. So you can address them um, because it's only afterwards that uh, if you don't address them where things go wrong right. and then, it, then you have bigger problems. Yeah. Full service Marriott hotels. They do a huddle meeting between every shift. Yeah. Perfect. I love and that. It's, it's, you know, they're, they're seven to 12 minutes, uh, that type of situation. There's a restaurant group called Hillstone. They do it. And then they have the ability for any member to call a huddle meeting anytime they need to during a shift to make, to address a situation that's going yeah. on. Yep. I had, um, I had a great conversation with an American uh, airlines pilot um, that the, the airline, they, they put in a process for any of the crew members and it was, a result of a mishap um, where then the airline took the step where any crew member from the flight attendant to the captain of the plane that while in flight, they can call a safety check, right? If they see something and just huddling or on their intercom between, between the whatever eight to 12 crew members that might be flying or part of that, that, that flight, any single one of them, regardless of the position can call a, um, can call a safety check. Something, you know, they see something, whatever the case might be. And it's got to go around the horn to every single crew member to, to give input. So didn't have to come from the captain, right? That's great. Yeah. I loved it. I thought that was great. Those are the things. Well, I appreciate the time we've got today. Uh, Real quickly, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? If you got a copy of it, go ahead and hold it up. Um, I don't have a copy of it. It's, um, it's from the battlefield to the white house, to the boardroom leading organizations to values-based results, uh, forward by Mike Barger, uh, former JetBlue Airways co-founder. Mm-hmm. It's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get signed copies uh, on our website at robertbrabo.com if anybody needs to get in touch okay, with me. Let's, let's slow that down. That's okay. Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, Brabo, B-R-A-B-O.com. That's right. Yep, and we just launched a new, uh, launched a new e-learning platform called the Brabo Center of Excellence. And we are approved by both. We're an approved provider of continuing education for HR professional recertifications. So terrific. Yeah. So that's what 2021 is all about. Helping others mm-hmm. be the best at what they do. Well, like we talked about teamwork, leadership, and culture, they all kind of come together around there. And I think in the core of each one of those is good communication without a doubt. Absolutely. So, Again, I appreciate it. We've only had a few minutes to be here today. I'd like to have you come back again sometime. We'll sit down and do another chat and go into some detail. Uh, And again, you can go to uh, robertbrabo.com to get more information on him personally. You've got a podcast as well. Do you want to go ahead and talk about that? Yeah, sure. Our podcast, which you can also access from uh, from the website, robertbrabo.com, is The Bo and Luke Show. Uh, The Bo and Luke Show, to be, know, and do better. Uh, We have 47 episodes out uh, currently, Anchor. Anchor Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, mm-hmm. Amazon Audible, wherever you get your podcast. Yep. Um, new po- like new episode. Yep, new episode every week. Terrific. Well, again, I appreciate your time today. My philosophy, folks, as you all know, that have been listening to the Teamwork Advantage, is do not have a good day, <laughs> because a good day is just being average. And do you want to go out and have an average day? So, 
Don't have a good day. Go make it an awesome day. Until next week with a new person, a new leader, a new person sharing information about teamwork, leadership, and culture right here on the Teamwork Advantage. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.